The title of this uh, paper is The Cave, A Hideout for Reconciliation with the Self and the Elements in Lawrence Durrell's and Irish Faustus. In an Irish Faustus, the term cave was not used at all. Yet, in no less than three places, its equivalents are quite obvious. In the first place, Faustus' study is one such equivalent. The second is the pit or haze, underground, underworld, where Faustus moves from taming the self to subduing Mephisto, that fallen spirit, and eventually in Matthew the Hermit's log hut in the mountains, which represents Nirvana. Common to all three places is the fact that each represents a retreat from an external world of temptations, an insular locale contributing to the opening up of the self to a unique experiment hitherto undreamt of. In fine, these constitute a set of confinements into which the leading characters retreat as into a cave. As such, these sanctuaries help the character reach out to the ways of transcendental foreknowledge by exploring previously uncharted vistas of the self. By nature and nurture, Dr. Faustus is a traditional scholar who progresses from one sanctum to the other until he ends up in Matthew the Hermit's log hut. These shelters highlight Faustus' novel role not as an overreacher whose overweening ambitions will be affected through necromancy and black magic, but rather as a sanctimonious friar averse to fanfare and ostentatious form. Wrapped in his studious sin, Faustus is persuaded that by taming the self, man can domesticate magic. The cabinet of Dr. Faustus is typical of the workshop shop of a medieval chemist-alchemist. There he is free from superficial barriers and society's formalities. Between man and his real self, all matter is undifferentiated. The cabinet imbues Faustus with a sense of atonement. He is at one with his own identity, has no need to seek it out. Being alone in his cabinet affords Faustus the cave experience. This is my term, the cave experience. 
It is a local void of daily distractions and the debilitating demands of the ego. The cabinet of Dr. Faustus is in a way a miniature of the cave. It spares him the dabbling and paddling in quotidian matters. Inside it, Faustus distances himself, his self from the beguiling luxuries of everyday life. He knuckles down to soul-searching through extrapolation, wrestling with his books, and contemplating the work of his intellectual exploits. The enclosed cubicle enables Faustus to grasp the intricacies and inner workings of his real identity. To practice magic and read its fruits successfully, intimacy, quote, intimacy of a private house, end of quote, is indispensable. Faustus cannot exorcise, quote, spectral figures, end of quote, in public. Exiled by Queen Catherine, and upon learning the futility of attempting to control or master the plenitude of cosmic power, Faustus may serve that cosmic power best by retiring to a more secluded lodging in order to give effect to what Wordsworth calls a wise facilities. Cognizant that the ultimate goal of self-fulfillment and contentment are best obtained through accepting things as they imperfectly are, Faustus quote, resolves to relinquish his books and personal belongings to his acolyte, Margaret, and join Matthew the Hermit, an old apprentice-like friend of his in his mountain log hut. For all his sophisticated scientific feats, Faustus is powerless to unravel the mystery of his inner spirituality. In his pursuit of inner reassurance, Faustus is prepared to take the risk of moving from one extreme to the other. This daring act is essential in order to display the hidden components of the self which lie outside the world marked by constant turmoil. In the concatenation of events leading to the final scene, Faustus achieves catharsis when he drags a repining Mephisto into an elemental journey, quote, down to the slag heaps of nature's inmost processes, this thrashing floor of time and matter, end of quote. This grueling journey to a, the cosmic foundry generates a fresh look at life. It is an inner journey of enlightenment. In this instance, the cave experiment is a root awakening of inner energy that has so long lain dormant. It is an eye-opener, a window of opportunity, a gate to the unknown wilds of the underworld, it enables Faustus to achieve balance between, quote, the outer energy, which he uses as a primary source of inspiration, and the inner energy, which is being abundantly used instead of being, for the most part, overlooked. 
Faustus's entry into and exit from the crematorium, a subterranean cave in itself, qualify him in the words of Northrop Fry as moving, quote, from a condition of ritual bondage to pragmatic freedom, end of quote. For that otherworldly enclosure, the pit, Faustus emerges with a fresh vision of life in general and a specific view of creation in particular. There, he took, quote, the temporal universe for what it is simply a great hint. Yes, I saw it all so clearly for the first time from there. Perhaps one must go there in order to see it. End of quote. From the pit with its elemental process, Faustus emerges more perspective. It becomes a journey of contemplation rather than of pain and suffering. A fresh experiment leading to a new ordering of priorities in the of the self. Through that journey, Faustus manages to, quote, sweep away the tawdry frailties, end of quote, in his personality and prepare for the ultimate tour de force of his life. The cave experience is one of voluntary acceptance, self-surrender. Indeed, it is a self-imposed autonomy denoting self-sufficiency a superhuman capacity to be distanced from allurements espoused by others. Inside the cave, one cannot help but be swept up in the magnificence and grandeur of interior forces. One can very well be overwhelmed by an uncanny, yet unalloyed sense of independence. He will be awed by the ecstatic aura and aroma of the silence, which is a sine qua non for contemplation and access to the higher self. Quote, a moment of silence is the highest honor we can extend, end of quote. The cave is the abode of silence. Through silence we can grope our way into our inner psyche. We may also probe the epicenter of our genuine entity and free the pent-up voice of the higher self. Quote, Herman Melville wrote, all profound things and emotions of things are preceded and attended by silence. Silence is the general consecration of the universe. End of quote. Nowhere can a human be so engulfed by silence as he is in a cave where he finds an adequate refuge from excessive externals and relishes the euphoria of delving deeply inward. In the cave, one leads an unadulterated life, silently accepting one's own self as is, with no strings attached. He will come to terms with his own frivolities and frailties. He will further learn that a life lived automatically leads to universal truth and heightened awareness. Through a measure of self-imposed commitment to the confines of the cave, man can identify with the realm of the sublime and forego that of the ego. 
The cave represents spiritual self-actualization, a shift from outward gaudy appearances to inward substance, an infliction of an inner voice which finds no traceable echo outside it. Inside the cave, a static ecstasy overtakes an otherwise restless power seeker. Faustus can experience, quote, a glowing celestial light, end of quote, in its interior, something he is powerless to even glimpse when dwelling in the mores of the external world. Inside the cave, man is no longer bound by the misconception that, quote, life, bounty, end of quote, can be obtained only from somewhere outside of ourselves. The cave affords a much-needed insight into the hidden aspects of the self. It reflects, quote, an inner environment of peaceful knowing, end of quote, an invisible world that defies measurement and induces the smooth realization of the sacred quest, which becomes apparent in moments of satori, in moments of celestial silence. In the entrails of the cave, quote, the inner faith becomes a power that was previously hidden, end of quote. The cave becomes an infinite void that allows its dweller to step outside himself, giving up the visible substances of this world for an invisible, formless, boundaryless entity. The cave can serve as a protected space where man is no longer engrossed in his puny view of the world and in the restrictive image of the self and can rise to, quote, heights and depths of being which he did not dream of, end of quote. The cave is not necessarily a medium for man to become a fugitive from society. It rather helps free him from, quote, a learned set of beliefs and behaviors he has practiced over a lifetime, end of quote. The cave epitomizes one of the ironies with which life teems and reveals a unique aspect of existence, exposing the grating restrictions of one's former conditioned methods of living and being. It gives rise to a more spiritual and blissful existence, opening up to the innermost parts of the cave, provides a grand tour of one's own capacity for self-perceptive self-discovery. Faustus needs the company of a like-minded fellow whose somewhat secluded sojourn beyond society will empower Faustus to penetrate the inner cycle of his innermost psyche and rise above the imperfections and frivolities of the material world. The notion of a faraway mountain hut will help Faustus achieve acceptance of things he is unable to change connectedness with the supernatural and eventually self-contentment. Faustus possesses a set of needs still to be met, and that permits him to live peaceably in a mountain cave. Quote, he is content to acquiesce 
and then in the end to withdraw, end of quote, to reach out through the geography of the self. In an Irish Faustus, the first real reference to the equivalent of the cave occurs only at the end of scene 8, and this is a play that consists of nine scenes. When Martin the partner converses with Faustus about Matthew the hermit, up there in the hills, where he leads and relishes a bit of the simple life, Faustus is tricked to Matthew the hermit's log hut, is his final journey to what Deepak Chopra on another occasion has called the exaltation of the spiritual experience. And what Pat Riley has similarly termed the final to-do, and that is to get outside of ourselves and stop selfishness. It is that sacred quest to that final freedom, end of quote. In that secluded void, Faustus will be tempted to unravel his long-standing reluctance to be in tune with the primal nature. He will no longer, quote, feel diffident and uncertain, end of quote, about his premonitions or resentments. This is, despite Faustus's initial wondering, quote, how would one live up there, end of quote, meaning in that cave-like hut as that of Matthew the Hermit. Faustus mistakenly believes, quote, that somehow the life up there, your, Matthew's life, might cost me, Faustus, more than I could pay. I was wrong, of course. I know now. I shall stay forever. Matthew then hastens to give the lie to the uninformed, indeed, the mendacious allegations of those who, like Faustus before meeting Matthew the Hermit, associate the ostensible insularity of an abstinious and stoic life in that lofty timbered tower with a sense of deprivation. Matthew refutes that misbegotten notion. For him, once those reductionists get there, quote, in fact, they find not deprivation but fulfillment. This place is an everywhere, end of quote. Keeping away from the hustle and bustle of civilization, the so-called real world, is an effective way to quietly enjoy a sober happiness and peace of mind. Matthew's log hut serves as a centripetal center, a welcome, quote, respite from the hurry-up world, end of quote, from the clangorous commotion of life out there in society. In Matthew the Hermit, in it, Matthew the Hermit manages to tame his own ego, that self-centered drive which governs our daily lives. Thus he transcends the facetious demands and illusions of the ego. The harmony between man's authentic identity and the retreat which shelters it engenders a sense of inner glow which invigorates life as a whole. The pursuit of primal reality 
dictates to Faustus, as it did to Matthew the Hermit, the need to have recourse to the craggy crevices of a secluded sanctum in the mountains. This adventure secures for both of them peace of mind and an escape from spiritual chaos embedded in a secular and sacrilegious society. Symbolically, such a retreat to a high altitude frees Matthew the Hermit from intrusion and enables him to have a panoramic, panoramic view, a cosmic vision of the world below. Rather than being beguiled by unproven proven theories that lead him nowhere on the spiritual plane, Faustus follows in the footsteps of his old companion and now guru, Matthew the Hermit. In that capacity, both of them become independent observers of events around them and are, quote, no longer controlled by the physical events of life, end of quote. Using the log hut as an observatory assists Matthew the Hermit to experience, quote, another dimension of reality, unfettered by the constraints of the material world, end of quote. Enveloped in the heights of his log cabin, Matthew the Hermit basks in the resplendent scenery of transcendental bliss. He no longer endures jittery feelings or mental discomfort. The bucolic sitting and stark nature of the cave are in harmony with his fundamental identity. His log cabin stands for the abnegation of mundane pleasures and release from everyday pressures, which is rewarded by self-knowledge or what burns called cosmic consciousness. The cave concept is a casement opening onto a luminous and eternal cosmos that transcends conventionally held limitations of time and space. The cave is a quiescent sanctuary in which the mind can empty itself of entrenched stereotypes and pass into the realm of a vision of reality, revealing what Wordsworth called in expostulation and reply, wise passiveness, or what Dr. Faustus himself described as negative, the negative path when instructing Margaret on the pursuit of vision. The cave is a place of repose where it is possible to secure mental and inspirational surcease from, quote, the meaningless flux of existence, end of quote, and assert individuality as a distinct yet inseparable component of the collective cosmic whole. Hmm? One and a half of Inside the cave, inside, the cave seems to be spaciously empty, yet this feeling of emptiness is wholesome since from it arises a, full, a fulfilling sense of being in a state of pure existence. 
Suffice it to mention that Matthew the Hermit represents acceptance of things as they are and the paradoxical discovery of fullness and emptiness. Inside the cave, man needs just to seek rapport with the self and the elements. Matthew the Hermit's positive passivity produces that reconciliation with the self, be it physical, psychological, or metaphysical which has run its full course while he is inside or in the vicinity of his log hut. Matthew the Hermit's log hut, a consummate correlative of the cave, has become the source of multifaceted experience. On the abstract level, it combines disparate elements. It is nowhere and now here. It is everything for the Hermit and nothing for the others. On the concrete level, it constitutes a nice setting with which Dorel jovially seals the play. In it converges a dynamic composite of divergent persona, a hermit, a scholar, a fake partner, a fantasy, as created reality, and a behind-the-scenes female cook. The final scene in the log hut is lively, humorous, and jolly, bordering on the orgiastic. It is a trist of dramatically, diametrically opposed characters appearing together in an eerie, far-fetched locale, helping open an inner reservoir of space that allows them to accumulate a different kind of energy. The release of such energy is equivalent to an act of self-emancipation up inside to experience the joy of being rather than the drudgery of always doing. Uh, I have the last paragraph, I don't know whether I'm allowed. On account of its serenity, the dark yet comic theme, which an Irish, an Irish Faustus pursues, fits very well in what I have come to call the cave experience, embodied in the enclosed circles of Faustus's studies, the pit into which Faustus forced Mephisto, as well as the old hermit Matthew's log hut. Out of each of these enclosures, Faustus acts, reacts, and interacts with the surroundings in a manner conducive to his adaptability to unfolding developments and eventual reconciliation with the self and the elements. Each of these sittings provides an arena for calm and steady contemplation, incendiary interaction, and energetic engagement with the sparse yet collective body of human and elemental process. Uh, I have just a um, couple of sentences about how this is a deviation and how this should be uh, tied in with the conference theme. Like the cave experience, the corpus of colonial post-colonial literature is a soul-searching journey, a daring act of introspection, which turned out to be extrospection. After all, the cave here epitomizes a self-liberating, self-decolonizing experience, if you wish. You may have wondered how relevant is my topic to this conference. Isn't it true that colonial post-colonial literature is that gem caged, let me say, in a cave for a significant period of time until it eventually emerged in the form 
and the ways you are debating now. If you think otherwise, you are missing the point. I stand enlightenment, not correction. Thank you.